BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. everybody. Welcome to Barely Filtered with Kristen and Aurora. And today we have a very special guest. This woman needs absolutely no introduction, but you either love her or you hate her. I mean, there's really no in between here with her. <laughs> and we flew all the way from LA to be here. This woman has got so much going on and we are here to talk about some of her new ventures and ask some of the questions that we know you're dying to hear. People want to know Candace as a human. She's actually pregnant, like she's a mom and... I personally just want to know, like, who wears the pants in that household. But um, we're going to dig in to just the basics. Well, first of all, you walked in so much energy, like the biggest smile. I, I don't know. I think people think that you're some robot that doesn't have, like, a personality, but you have so much sunshine around you, actually. We were discussing Disney movies and kids, and I wanted to say that. You are pregnant. How is that going? It's going great. I'm 30 weeks right now, and you're so right. I, I think something that the media is really successful at is giving you a personality and people naturally think that I'm always like angry or always mm -hmm. fighting. And I think it's because people always have to put me on the defense. And so that's kind of become this really unfair media depiction of me yeah. where actually I, people always so started like you have such a good sense of humor. You're always so bubbly. You're always so happy. And I'm like, yeah, that's how I've always been. I'm a very happy person. Mm -hmm. Happier even now, obviously, living in the South and things of that nature. So, yeah, I get that. But yeah, I'm, I'm a total jokester. I'm a middle child, and that just kind of comes to the territory. We were just talking about our mutual friend, Brittany Aldine, who is an absolute gem, and we hate that when she gets hate. We like to stick up for our girls, and I love to stick up for you. Um, you're a girl's girl. That's what everyone told me, and I was like, really? Like, because of the media. So I wanted to, to dig in about kind of who you are at home. Who are you as a mother, as a wife? And I know you talk about the traditional gender roles, but I heard that you actually have an amazing love story. So can you tell us and the, the listeners about your love story? Yes, I have such an interesting How I Met My Husband story because nobody ever hears a story where somebody meets someone and then 18 days later uh, they're wow. engaged and that is exactly what happened with me and my husband. Had never laid eyes on him, had never met him, had never even You didn't know what he looked him, like? Didn't know what he looked like, nothing. Wow. And it was totally a God thing. It really was. I was working for an organization called Turning Point at the time. And I bizarrely kept saying to Charlie, who's the founder of Turning Point, like, we should go, we should go to the UK. We should go to the UK during the busiest time of year for us here in the US. I was like, we should try to get like a turning point established in the UK. He's like, not right now. Long story short, I take his credit card and I book us to the UK, <laughs> which I've never done before. Charlie had an assistant that handled all of the travel stuff. And I was so insistent on getting there. 
And we had an event that was set up for us to just kind of speak in front of a room full of reporters and people that were interested sort of in this conservative movement that was happening in America. And my husband now was in attendance. And I promise you, while I was on stage, we had locked eyes and I was just like, wow, that guy's really cute. Like, you know, and what's funny now is that at our engagement dinner, his best friend, who was the best man in our wedding, read the text messages that George sent to him while I was on stage. And he was like, that's my wife. <gasps> Stop. Yeah, Stop. we were like frame we that. We both instantly knew oh that, my. you know, something was happening. And two days later, there was a smaller dinner that was hosted. And it was, my husband was, I, I, unbeknownst to me, he was hosting the dinner. He had organized everything. And there was this huge lapse in communication. I had no idea the dinner was happening. I was instead two hours away from the dinner at Russell Brand's house doing his podcast. I love Russell Brand. Love yeah, him. He's great. I love him. Yeah, he, it was so great. So I'm doing his podcast, and we were having such a spirited debate on the podcast. At this time, he was really far left-leaning, but, like, who cares? Like, it was fun. You know what I mean? Like, it's what you really want, people that can just come together and talk. Yeah. And, uh, and so we ran, like, three hours on his podcast. And I, when I got out, my assistant was like, there's, like, 30 people waiting for you at a dinner that you're three hours late for. And I can I hate being late. I'm very punctual. And I was so anxious to learn about this dinner that I had no idea it was being hosted because of a lapse in communication. So I showed up three hours late to this dinner. My husband had plied everyone with alcohol because he was like, I promise she's coming. Oh. I promise she's coming. So was like it a party by the time honor. you got there? It was a party by the time I got there. I was humiliated. I went around and like personally apologized to every person because I was running late. And he sat me next, he sat me next to him and he didn't he didn't say anything because he was so nervous. I, and, and yet the, the to be best man in our wedding spoke to me the whole night. And all I could think was, this guy's my husband. Like, he's so cute. Wow, like, so you felt that in yeah, that moment. It, and I describe it to people as something, that's why it can only correlate it to God and it, something spiritual happened because I looked at his face and I knew him. Like, I just knew him. Like, it was like, ah. Uh, Do you believe in reincarnation and that maybe you knew him in a past life? Maybe, in, honestly, in this moment, it's the only thing that could possibly make I sense. I just because, turned Candace out yeah. into a spiritual, <laughs> a spiritual one. Yeah. I was like, I that was, was God. Like, <laughs> it was fully God, looked at him, knew everything about him. Like, I just... I had never felt more safe than looking at his face. You need to do me a favor and read the book, Many Lives, Many Masters. Okay. You are going to be like, this fuck, this, this oh. is what happened. But it's true. He could, you, I don't think it's a coincidence. You knew him before. I did. I yeah. knew him. And everyone thought it was so crazy. We got engaged 18 days later. We got engaged before we didn't have a first kiss. Nothing. He proposed, like, we didn't even have a date. I didn't know if he had a girlfriend. And you're supposed to be like a rational person. I'm supposed to be a yeah, rational what's person. Going on? This is what everyone thinks. <laughs> and I was completely irrational and never more rational in my life. He proposed to me like we had never even said like, hey, do you have a girlfriend? Do you have a boyfriend? Nothing. And 18 days later, after talking on the phone on FaceTime and every time I hung up, I was like, that's my husband. Like, and we were talking about obscure topics. We yeah. never talked about, we never betrayed this like, oh, I love you or anything. Never said that. Mm -hmm. He calls me up on a flight. He was heading to South Africa for New Year's. And it was just literally 18 days after we met. And he's like, do you have a moment to FaceTime? I said, yep. He was getting onto the plane. And he's like, I have something to ask you. I love you. Do you want to spend the rest of oh, my yeah. Yes. Up. And we I have never said chilled. anything. Like oh nothing. So he proposed to you over FaceTime. Over FaceTime on a plane. 18 days. British Airways plane <laughs> flight from London to South Africa. And I said, yes. Crazy. Oh, wow. oh my God! Crazy. Okay, I have to ask wow. you. So, your father-in-law, <laughs> Michael Farmer, is the Right Honorable Lord Farmer of England. Okay, so married into British nobility, 
Do you ever feel the type of prejudice that we might have heard from maybe like Meghan Markle, who yeah. also <laughs> is a woman of color who married into British aristocracy? She's barely a woman of color, but <laughs> against everyone. She said it, not me. Everybody's <laughs> reaching these days. <laughs> right you know, everybody's doing the 23 mm-hmm. and Me to see if they yep. can play the yep. black card. So we'll we'll let her 23 and Me it. But no, actually. And so, yes, it was a lot for me to learn. He sits in the House of Lords, so his mother is a lady and his dad is a lord. I'm actually entitled now, people. Oh! oh. Actually, like in my okay. intro, you forgot okay. to say the honorable. Oh my bad. I, t- I did Apologies, not introduce him properly. <laughs> it makes me sick when people know. If, but yeah, so it was... For me, I was so nervous meeting them. For, first and foremost, hi, we're engaged. You've never yeah. heard of me. Like yeah. that is not. It was. It was a lot to go through. I was so nervous to meet them, and they were so kind, so loving. I mean, they're deeply committed, faithful Christians. Everything that his father does in the House of Lords is sort of dedicated to family policy and the Christian faith. And so I was just sort of in my head: Am I going to know how to use the right knife, the right spoon? Mm-hmm. Is this going to be like a movie? And it wasn't. They were so gracious and so embracing. And I had so much in common with his dad because his dad built his business career and, and is so successful. But he came from nothing. You know, he came wow. he came from a family dynamic that was very similar to mine. So we were really able to connect on that and being someone that's self-made. Yeah. Um, and everything that comes with once you make it, people suddenly don't care anymore. And they think that everything was so easy for you. So they have always been so amazing to me, and it was the exact opposite. I love England. I'm I basically I'm the antidote to Meghan Markle. I love the English culture. I love the rules. I I wanted to marry into and understand his culture. When we got married, we combined the cultures. I didn't want to say like isn't that what you're supposed to do in a relationship? Yeah, is see the beauty and who people are yeah. and where they come from. And no matter what that means, it, it's very weird when people want to train that out of somebody. I I wanted to learn everything about the UK, about its history. I didn't understand the love for the queen. And now I understand what she actually represents or what she represented rather to the British people. And that's my nature though. I'm curious about things and I don't just excuse it when I don't understand it. I just want to like, I want to understand the phenomenon of this. Why do some people love this? Right. Rather than just saying, oh, it's you're all this or you're all that or you've got it wrong. So everything just lined up perfectly. Okay, guys, one of the biggest questions I get is what multivitamin do I take? And also what prenatal did I take when I was pregnant with Nala? So I'm here to tell you that I've tested it myself and I love it and I'm still using it. I use Rituals Essential for Women. So I started taking this when I was pregnant with Nala. I, just like you, needed to find something that meant what it said when it was healthy during pregnancy and something that was healthy for me that I could take after pregnancy. So what I loved about Ritual is that Of course, it's gluten, major allergen-free, and vegan, but it also gives all of the omega-3 DHAs to support baby's brain development during pregnancy. But for me personally, I loved it most because it had a minty citrus essence in every bottle. It felt really fresh, and it was slow release. So I didn't feel sick. I didn't feel nauseous, nothing like that. All the delayed release capsules are designed specifically to dissolve later in the small intestines, and this is an ideal place to absorb nutrients. So made me feel amazing. I loved it so much. I kept taking it after pregnancy. This is something I'm going to keep taking. And so I wanted to share it all with you. Instead of striving for perfect health, aim for supporting foundational health. Great news. Ritual is offering our listeners 30% off during your first three months. Visit ritual.com slash barely filtered to start ritual or add essential for women 
18 plus or prenatal to your subscription today. Visit ritual.com slash barely filtered to start ritual today. Enjoy. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Are you going on date after date and still not finding the one or getting a text back? Well, you're probably doing something wrong. And I am here to tell you exactly what that is. I'm Lindsay Metzler and I host We Met at Acme. It's a dating podcast that gives you all the rules and guidelines that you need to date successfully. Hey, it worked for me and now I'm married. So you really should give it a listen if you haven't already. And you can also hear the horrors of dating. Everything that you want to hear is in We Met at Acme. So check it out. Does he also embrace your heritage as a Black American? Is there a way that you're trying to kind of, you know, bring your kids up so that they are a part of the culture you grew up in? He is, George loves America more than anybody that I know. He was so keen, because I would have lived anywhere, because people were like, how are you gonna figure this out? He's from the UK, he's you know submerged in politics here, you're here, and it just worked out beautifully. He had a dream, he always wanted to live in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Okay. Really? Even though he had Found never been girl. there, he's a London boy, had never been there. He wants to go to Chattanooga. He wanted to go to Chattanooga because he fished with a bunch of guys from Tennessee that were from Chattanooga. And he was just like, I just have this idea. They were just so great, the Chattanoogans and the Chattanoogans. Um, the Chattanoogans. <laughs> I don't know if that's they sound them. great. So you mentioned that you related initially with his father because he was self-made. And tell like our listeners a little bit about your journey because I think maybe people might think you're this privileged, educated woman. They don't understand your kind of history and your yeah. upbringing. Yeah. Fill them in. I always say it's interesting to talk about the topic of privilege because if you come from a household and you have even one person that can set you straight, you're privileged. So even though I was economically underprivileged, even though I was not privileged by the fact that, you know, I come from a broken home, my parents are divorced, and I didn't come from a stable childhood, I I was so privileged in my relationship with my grandfather and my grandparents, my grandmother, and the, the things that they set the tone for that I when I was a child, I hated. Like, they would read the Bible every morning at breakfast and try to instill values in us. And my grandfather had so many rules. He's from the South. He's from Fayetteville, North Carolina. Like, this would drive him crazy if I had mm-hmm. elbows on the table. And so I was privileged because I was deeply loved by my grandmother and, and my grandfather. And I think inevitably, if you come from a childhood and there's some level of strength in your childhood that has been inserted, even if it's by one character two characters, whoever it is, a grandparent, a a mother, a father, that it will shape you in the future. And that's kind of a nugget from the Bible that if you lay the seeds down, eventually they will grow, you know? And so I think for me, I grew up in with my grandparents who were conservative, not political at all. They did not vote. They abstained entirely from all secular activities, but the way they lived, you know, they Mm -hmm. fell in love when they were 17. My grandfather stayed married to my grandmother until her dying day, 50 years later. And to see that sort of a love, to see that strong masculine role, to see that feminine role. My grandmother was always cooking something in the kitchen and it it impressed things upon me that 
once I was done with my rebel phase, because I always say I took the most liberal route to conservatism. Mm-hmm. I want to like, get to that. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the most liberal route to conservatism mm-hmm. ever. But then when I was looking at what I wanted in my life, I wanted what they had. Oh, so, so I'm hearing Candace Owens say that it's really just all about love, guys. Yeah. I mean, did you ever? <laughs> no. It's all, all about, about love. love. I want to bust into song right now. Yes. <laughs> so I, yeah, I actually read, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you were a liberal before, and you actually wrote anti-Trump, I don't know, essays or spoke against Trump initially. And then you became a Republican overnight. Tell me about that. <laughs> so not true. Okay. No, it's, it's like, hey, here's my journal. No, it, no you're fine. Because that is the depiction. I think people who want to like attack me, they yeah. kind of like, oh, and then she just picked Republican yeah. one day. Yeah. No, <laughs> I always, I mean, I was liberal leaning in my youth, which I think everyone is. Yeah. I think it's strange that my husband was always conservative. I'm like, what do you, what do you mean? You were always for you. Yeah, <laughs> I, I find it weird. And there's that old quote where they say, if you're not a liberal when you're young, you don't have a heart. If you're not a conservative by the time you're older, you don't have a brain. No, and I think like they that. say, I think they say that because it's sort of like, it makes sense when you have less responsibility to be more liberal. Everything can kind of be an idea and a feeling and an emotion. And then once you have children, you get older and you've got to pay bills and you're looking at where your taxes are going. Something else goes online. You're like, okay, enough emotion. Mm-hmm. What are the facts here? Where, where is my money going? What are we actually doing? So I think I followed a very normal trajectory. I think what happens is people try to conflate liberalism with Democrats and conservatism with Republicans. I never voted. I wasn't politically inclined. But if you had found me on a college campus, I would have been like, yeah, feminism, crying the night Obama won. I was just liberal leaning, you know? And I think it's that was perfectly natural. And what they're talking about in terms of anti-Trump, I ran a blog for young girls to write articles. they, They were just interning for me, and I was always very into writing And one of the girls wrote a piece that was anti-Trump. I told them to write about whatever they wanted. So there was also anti-Hillary pieces on the site. But they used the snippet of the anti-Trump article to be like, she ran a Trump-bashing website. 99% of what was written on that site was girls writing about their eating disorders, their dating lives. And I was very proud of that website, Degree 180, because I— like our podcast. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? Because it's it's things that girls go through. And then— of course, once the media wants to pigeonhole you as just a conservative or just a Republican, they take something that meant so much and they kind of pervert it. But just to be clear, when Trump announced he was running, I did not want him to win. Like I was not, I, I, again, I had never voted. I wasn't politically inclined, but I was just like, oh no, that guy's the guy that says you're fired. Like yeah. why would he be the president yeah. of the United States? It was very like, you know, I wasn't committed in hatred towards him. Yeah. I just thought it would be weird if the guy from my TV screen was suddenly... Yeah. (laughs) It's like, you stay in your box. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay, we're going to pivot. How do you feel about social media and influencer culture? And don't think you need to hold back just because you got two bimbos here. Um, (laughs) Are you... You think we're pushing it too far by like showing our kids on our social media? I think for each parent, they should make their own decisions. I, I think that when your children become of a certain age... You should really consider the psychological harm that can come from social media. And I think especially for young women, I I do pause when I see people that have tweens and people like, you know, Northwest, as an example, on TikTok. I think it's you're not thinking about what that's doing to her brain. Like, I was so content, thought I was hot. You ever see pictures of yourself when you're in middle school? And I thought I was hot. I thought it was oh, the sexy girl hair. alive. <laughs> I, from a box, no, yeah. And I had braces, when you're in, like, blue eyeshadow. I, like, I was hideous. They skipped they skip the, they <laughs> yeah, skip the ugly skipping it. And, and But yeah. I was confident. Yeah. And yeah. I didn't, because I wasn't looking at myself or comparing myself to other women on the internet. Because your grandma told you you were pretty. Yeah, <laughs> my grandma told me I was looking good. I was even, like, getting the braces to match. Yeah, oh, the different, I did the pattern with, 
yes. the pattern. When the course. Halloween, it was like red, orange, and black. I was so jealous. Wow, you're festive. Yeah. <laughs> I was jealous of the kids. My yeah. mom's like, we're poor. You ain't getting that shit. And that's something that was so beautiful is that we thought we were hot. We so clearly were not. We looked like kids. We looked appropriate. Yeah. And these kids are skipping that. I look at these young girls and the, they're nine and they're 10 and they're trying to look like Kim Kardashian, mm-hmm. you know? And that's, if you don't think that that is going to fundamentally destroy that young woman, take away the best aspects of her youth, you know, go play outside, go get, you know, dirty. Yeah. I was such an outdoorsy kid. I was constantly, you know, trying to learn routines. Like I was very into the Spice Girls. I was, we were coordinating dances. Yeah, yeah, yeah These same. kids aren't doing that. They're no. on TikTok. They're trying to get views and I just don't see how that's not going to lead to future depression because that's not happiness. So I definitely caution parents against letting, because when certain, at certain age are young enough, it doesn't even matter. You know, face changes so much, they don't even comprehend what's happening. But I do think it starts to matter when they do, when they start asking for the account, you Ooh. know, and they're nine and they're 10 and they want their own accounts. And mom's like, well, I'm over, I'm looking over it. I'm like, that doesn't matter because that feedback loop of wanting likes and wanting people to pay attention to them is I think going to permanently alter their brainwaves. Absolutely, and I think more than ever, as we're, we're moms, and I feel confused a lot. I mean, I'm actually pretty convicted in my beliefs, but most women, they're confused with social media, the misinformation from vaccine talk to what you're putting into your body. I think women feel, as moms, like, I don't know, they don't have the strength, they're, they're confused. What can we do as moms, as women, to find the right information, for example, vaccines, or depression and social media, what can women do to protect their children? Right, right. And I think that is that is very difficult. And I think one of the first things you can do is to remember that you're the parent and that some of the, you don't want your child growing up on social media, especially TikTok. They, they will always find a hole in the internet. Things will get weird. They'll learn about something much earlier. And you just always have to rely upon your own childhood to really think about what's appropriate. And I think today, what the girls are talking about on social media and I'm coming off of the whatever podcast and sitting across from a 22-year-old girl who is a prostitute and she's proud of it and in a brothel. And that's a part of this movement that we didn't have when we were kids, which mm-hmm. is it's sexually freedom and it's great to be naked all the time, even when you're young. And it just scares me. It really yeah. scares me because it just wasn't the way that we were thinking. Yeah. You know, we were allowed to be dweebs. We were allowed to be dweebs. And, and we thing, thought we were the hot kids. We yes. thought, and we thought we were the hot kids. And it was nice <laughs> thinking that. And, yeah. and I think when a kid is surfing the internet too, they don't really pick and choose what content is fed to them. And when you're in that like brainwave developing state of a child, you take on that information as truth. Mm-hmm. You're not there sifting, using critical judgment to figure out, is, is this in line with my values? You don't know what your values are yet. Mm-hmm. And what I noticed is that in your career, you've made a career of kind of like turning over the stones of misinformation and shedding light on things that maybe the whole story was not told. And in the past, it was political. And now you're kind of moving into this a little bit more documentary style. And can you tell us a little bit about this new project that you're working on? I'm so excited about it. So we have just released Convicting a Murderer, which is a 10-part docuseries. And it's part of my very conscious effort because I think the media, again, has pigeonholed me as such a political person. But I'm interested in so many other things. And people are being able to see more pieces of me. And I am just interested and fascinated by the psychological impact of propaganda as a whole, mm. even if it's if it's political, if it's not political, people are influenced by propaganda. We are, we all are, even if when we drop something in our Amazon cart because an influencer put it up, right? It's a little mm. bit of propaganda, 
probably isn't going to work that well. You're probably going to break out when you buy the product, yeah. but you still put it in your Amazon cart, yep, you know, yep. yeah. because you've been influenced. But it becomes dangerous when you're influenced in, for something in, and you get behind something that is a tremendous injustice and they've convinced you that it's justice. And so convicting a murderer goes back and takes a look at what was a very successful series for Netflix, which was called Making a Murderer. People binge watched it. It was about Stephen Avery. Yeah, Stephen Avery, this guy who, if you just had just watched the Making a Murderer series, you weren't sure if he was guilty. He had kind of an incredible story because he was in fact wrongly convicted for 12 years of his life for something that he didn't do, which was the rape and attempted murder of a woman who pointed him out and said, that's the guy that did it pre-DNA. Once DNA technology became available, they went back and said, oh no, this isn't our guy. And they released him. And people, obviously, that's a grab, that, that story is, you gravitate towards it. You're like, oh my God, the justice system got it wrong. How can this happen to him? You know, he's barely free. And then suddenly he's being accused of committing uh, the murder of Teresa Hallback. And so Netflix kind of went in there, two documentary makers went in there and eventually sold the documentary to, to Netflix and told the story of this guy who was, you know, just trying to get back adjusted to his family. And now he's once again potentially being wrongly convicted. And it developed a cult following and people were very convinced of his innocence. And they left out a lot of details and facts because they wanted that narrative. Mm -hmm. They wanted this bad police, anti-police narrative. Maybe the justice system gets it wrong sometimes. And what it led to was a social justice movement to free Stephen Avery and his nephew, who, who were eventually convicted of Teresa Hallback's murder. And it's been long lasting. I mean, people are writing songs. He's got fiancés in prison. Of course he people, does. Yeah, of course he does. People love a serial killer. I know. Yeah. Yeah, and people, Ted Bundy. He was cute. Yeah, he people cute. just like, Why, why do you care. think, as the creators of Making a, Making a Murder, what's in it for them to leave out these details? Because I was shook about the editing that Making a Murder did. And mm. they, they did that on purpose for a reason. Yeah. What's in it for them to paint that picture with leaving out so many details? I And I've thought about that so much. And I discussed that. That maybe in episode nine or 10 of the docuseries because I had to really think about that. I had to think about two women going down, mm-hmm. trying to make this sexual deviant, which we show he's truly a sexual mm-hmm. deviant, has harmed women his entire life to look like this like innocent, loving guy. And why would they do that? And I think really they were just driven by business and profit. And for them, it was if we can kind of obscure the facts enough. It will fascinate people and drive conspiracy theory and drive clicks. And they were successful at that. And they were willing to figuratively roll over the grave of a woman who was horrifically and brutally murdered in order to accomplish that. And so it's, you know, we have to kind of all examine ourselves, people that kind of fell for this and the family was harassed. I mean, imagine not just losing your daughter, your sister, and having to go through all of that grief, but then also because Alec Baldwin or Chrissy Teigen sent a tweet and said, this guy's innocent. Suddenly you're dealing with a full-on online harassment campaign from people that don't even know your family saying that you're faking and that your sister never died or was never murdered. That's what they went through because of this docuseries, and I think it's unconscionable. I don't know how those documentary makers sleep at night, but um, not I'm, only is it unconscionable, and not only did they just not give us the correct facts, but they also did it under the guise of being some kind of saviors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Like, yeah. not only are they telling the truth, but they're helping this man. They're helping free this this man who just, you know, he likes to burn caps sometimes. But, like, <laughs> other than that, he's pretty cool. <laughs> I mean. When you learned that, uh, to me, that was the stickler. I was like. I couldn't get over the cat. No, cats. Right when that happened. Don't yeah. F with cats. Yes. Successful yeah. for a reason. Oh, my yes. gosh. That I was, was a like, good there one. There is something about effing with a cat that we all then realized that someone is demented. And the idea that this was, like, just an accident. Like, oh, we just got a little too drunk, so we burned the the family cat. That was what they were trying. They just rinsed everything that he had done. They kind of yeah. edited that too, right? They were like, mm-hmm. he, he just like kind of burned the cat, but like not really. We're not sure. By accident, you know, sometimes you accidentally douse a cat in gasoline and Twice. throw it into a fire yeah. and then, th- you know, throw throw some more fire onto it. And this was the family cat. It wasn't like it was like a random stray either. Like right. you think about your actual pet. Yeah. And uh, it wasn't just a cat. It was a dog. You know, he, he had a pattern and he was getting stronger and stronger and he had, I mean, a packet thick of everything he's done since he was a juvie, and they just kind of left it out and focused on this, you know, wrongful conviction, which happened for him. And honestly, I think if he hadn't been in prison for all those years wrongfully, I, I, I don't know how many more victims he would have had because there were so many women that had suffered at his hands, in, in, in which we show in the in the docu series, convicting a murderer. But it was really interesting to get into that and to kind of get into, I think, just the social psyche of wanting to believe the conspiracy theory, mm-hmm. even with all of the facts laid out, like wanting to believe that he was innocent, even though he's a most contemptible man. Right. Yeah. You want to free. You want to see somebody go free just so you can have this beautiful story in your mm-hmm. mind at the expense of this poor woman, her family. It, yeah, we all really need to just take a look at how how we get our kicks. So if you guys have been listening to us for some time, you know that I am a big fan of squeezed juice. And I think I've talked about most of my favorite flavors, but there's this one called Power. I am loving it. So it's a green juice blend. It has amazing ingredients like matcha, which will give you that little bit of energy, spinach, cucumber, and celery to power you through your day. All of the flavors are 100% juice. There's five flavors in total, and I think you guys are going to love all of them, but especially this Power if you're looking to get in a little extra green with a little kick from something like matcha to give you energy throughout the day. We have a code for you. It is barely, and that's for 20% off, first-time customers only. You can find them at shop.squeezejuice.com. I actually just finished drinking the Power One. I think maybe that's why I have a little extra energy right now. Um, You guys will love it too. Check it out. Okay, you guys know I am a pro 420 friendly sister over here. And have you ever thought of mixing aphrodisiac herbs with THC? For me, I'm like, smoke a little J, have a little sexy time, makes for a great time, or makes for a baby in my case. But Baya Hemp, let me tell you about them. Baya Hemp have done the magic for us and created these amazing THC hemp gummies. So Baya Hemp gummies can be purchased in all 50 states. Yes, Purchase in all 50 states and ship discreetly to your door since they contain less than 0.3% Delta 9 on a dry weight basis. So I personally tried the high love. This is THC libido gummies. So they are the ultimate cannabis libido gummies that will awaken your senses, increase blood flow, and ignite pleasure. I mean, sign me up. I used it and all I can say is it works. (laughs) So if you guys are interested in Via Hemp, you guys have to check it out. Head to ViaHemp.com. That's B-I-I-A-H-E-M-P.com and use the code BARELYFILTERED to receive 15% off and get one free sample on any order. You must be 21 plus to enjoy. They work. They're delicious. Head to ViaHemp.com. That's B-I-I-A-H-E-M-P.com. 
B-A-R-L-Y-F-I-A-H-E-M-P.com. Check it out and don't forget to use the code Barely Filtered. Enjoy. I had a question because we were so honored to watch this. It, I felt like watching you, I was like, wow, I feel like she's actually doing journalism. You were presenting <laughs> facts. She's been doing that. It wasn't, but it wasn't leading with emotion, which is what Making a Murderer did. There's a lot of playing with your emotions there. You were presenting the facts. And I think, you know, if you can speak to this, there is a huge problem going on is we are leading the news, the media with emotion. And they almost figured it out like, oh, we can get them if we just make them feel this way. We scare versus them. facts. And we're excluding a lot of facts. Can you talk to our listeners about that problem in general with media? Yeah, it's actually super interesting that you bring that up because I ju had just done this X space and there is a podcast named Lauren Chen and she's a true crime junkie. She's like, I just love it. She's like, I was inter interested in this case right away. I thought he was innocent. And she spoke about the fact that she called this like a white girl phenomenon, like true crime. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I'm, I'm a dateline binger. Date I'm a dateline binger too, and I'm not white. And I, yeah, totally. But women sort of leading the charge on this. Mm -hmm. And I think that, and people don't like to talk about this because you're supposed to pretend that we don't have differences. But women are more emotional. Obviously, we are more emotional. We are more inclined. And I think that when women get a hold of something or when, and this is a lot of times why the media tries to speak to emotion is because then they know that women will respond to it. And sometimes at the forefront of the worst things that we see, the worst social movements that we see that end up being debunked or wrong, it's a lot of times women that have had their emotions, you know, just drummed up suddenly and then we are kind of empowered to do things. And I want to be clear that emotionality is actually a beautiful thing with women. It's the, it's the reason why we're better with children, yep. you know, when you, when we're leading into emotion in the right ways, it is a superpower. But when that superpower becomes hijacked for something evil, it can be very scary. And I've seen that, and you'll see that in the docu-series, is we cover the people that are outside singing songs about him and crying over him. Like, literally, this one woman just, she cries. Like, she, like she's just like, like, her whole life has been wrecked by the concept of Stephen Avery being in prison. And I could just, wa I just watched her in fascination because she was like, this is this is it. This is how could this possibly happen to this man? And I just thought this is a complete override. Someone has hijacked your female system of emotion that is supposed to be used for, for good. And they've made you, they've manipulated you to use it for badness, you know, for promoting badness. So it's, it's interesting to think about that. And, and on that note of the difference between like women and men, we are emotional beings. Mm -hmm. And there's this huge wave of modern feminism. I, there's a difference between modern feminism and, I guess, traditional feminism. Mm -hmm. Can you speak to the difference of that and, like, the problems or issues that we're seeing with this push of modern feminism amongst women? Yeah. Well, I think with modern feminism, it's it, a lot of words that were once used are being recycled and they don't have the same meaning. Mm -hmm. And I talk about that all the time, you know, where you, you used to talk about racism. Now everything can be racist and nothing can be racist. You know, they, and it's not the same word anymore. So with feminism, there was this aspiration where women wanted to be able to have the same opportunities as men. I want to be able to go to work if I opt into it. Now, I don't know what, why they did that. I was, <laughs> I look back and I'm like, how did we win why here? That was an emotional manipulation. We had it made. It was so good. <laughs> Bring me the feminist that started this all. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> we were all doing so well. But, you know, yes, I would like to at least be able to say that I want to go to work and have that opportunity. I would like to at least be able to vote. Then what's happened now is we have everything 
We, there's nothing that men have that women don't have access to. And they're trying to convince you that there's still a fight. And so even when the battle has been won, they say to you, oh, no, but, but this hasn't been done yet. So there is not, there's actually not an ending to the battle. It's just this tacking on. And what they're really working on is just social engineering you to fight whatever cause that they actually care about. And you see this with tons of movements, even gay rights. Remember, it was all about, like, once we get gay marriage, it's it. Yep. Love is love. Love is love. And then we're done. And But then GLAAD didn't shudder after gay marriage was won, right? They were like, oh, now actually we need to focus on trans bathroom signs. Like, it's a, suddenly they just, like, it pivots. NAACP, we won't have justice until whatever it is. Black Americans now are on par with white Americans. Okay, no, 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 but it's not over yet. They, they actually don't want these things to end. First of all, it's because they're moneymakers. Also because it allows them to garner power. You know what I mean? Because you have a power over an entire population based on maybe their attributes. You're gay. You're a woman, so you need to care about this. And they're, they're kind of naturally dividing us. And I think that that gives people a lot of power. And so feminism is no different. It's, 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 go, it's never going to end. They're always going to tell you that there's some new platitude that women need to care about and that we need to be out marching into the streets about. And it's just important that people adjust their psyche to understand that these social movements aren't meant to end. There is no finish line, you know? Well, I think I would argue that there's not, that, that there really shouldn't be a finish line if you really, if, if the... If the goal for something is true justice, mm -hmm. can you really say that we've ever truly made it? Like, or is it like, who, whose job is it to define when we've made it? Like, I hear you be like, okay, well, they got their marriage. Now, why aren't they happy yet? But I would argue that there's more for them to fight for at this point if, if they just got the, the most basic need of being able to love the person they marry. Well, I would, I would say that there's no, like, there's nothing that correlates gay marriage with transgenderism. I agree. So, like, so it's just attacking on. It's like, just you, attacking yeah, on. It's something just that's not Nothing exactly. to do with anything. So it's right. like you just change the entire goal. Right. And now you've, you have a bunch of gay people who say, why, wait, why do I, have to, I don't actually don't even believe in that. I right. just wanted to be able to marry my husband. Right. Why are you now telling me that I have to fight? For kids to be able to pick their gender, that doesn't even make sense. And why do I have that to they put like, pressure on them because yes. I'm gay? That, that's actually to... horrible to say. I've tapped into your attribute, and now you're responsible for something that has nothing to do with anything. Right. And that's the point. It's collectivization, mm. right? So it's making them feel this pressure. And this is why you're seeing more gay people speak up and say, yeah. "I actually don't support drag queen story time. Am I allowed to say that? How dare you? How dare you not fight for that? We gave you gay marriage." They're trying to collectivize them and say that you're not allowed to be an individual. Now you're a part of the group. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of my experience as like, as a black person. Like, suddenly it's like, yeah. you're a black person, so this is what you must believe. Yes. No, I'm an individual. Like, like, I'm <laughs> I was, was going to ask you that. Because you, you get a lot of pressure from maybe one side. I know that's like Cardi B said that you're a Trump puppeteer and that yeah. you're, you should support your own culture. But you are by educating them. <laughs> so what would you say to black Americans who are going into this next election confused more than ever with all this information? What would you say to them in their vote? Well, first of all, I've been in many rap battles with Cardi B. I'm proud of myself. <laughs> <laughs> Have you really? I need yeah. To so many. I, I agree so with you. I was like, really? Oh, my God. Cardi B? Do you twerk? <laughs> do you twerk? I know. I, I didn't twerk. expect to be in twerk rap battles on Twitter with Cardi B, but they do happen often. I miss her, actually. <laughs> Here's the thing. What's really funny about the Cardi B back forth is, first and foremost, that there is something that I deeply respect about Cardi B, and this is what's what's interesting and people miss about this. She's self-made. She came from absolutely nothing. I watched her on Love & Hip Hop, thought she was a star. My cousin forced me to watch wow. the show, and I she was absolutely hilarious. I knew she was going places back when she had the bad teeth, and she was just like, meh. <laughs> and, um, and she did. She she made it. She, she 
talked herself into existence and never gave up. And I think that that's amazing and that's incredible. My issue with Cardi B is that now that she's made it, she's not changing. She's not evolving. She's not telling people how to be better. And she thinks that it's cool to never change. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and it's actually not cool not to evolve. When you're in a place to say to people, I always when you're in a place to say to people, here are the mistakes that I made, you know, and I did this because this was, these were my circumstances. I want her to become the teacher and she doesn't give that for me. But to answer your question about what I would say to black Americans is simply to be an individual. Be an individual. Don't let them collectivize you. Because we have the same skin color, why would that imply that we think alike? That's so weird. That's a weird thing. I'm like, oh, you're both blonde. So I assume you both just think this, this, yeah, this. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, that's a little crazy to do that. And it's, it's a horrible thing to do. It's, it's abusive to do that. And also, it's fundamentally racist to look at people and to say that based on the color of your skin, I know everything that you must think. Mm -hmm. So I'm always just advocating for black Americans to be individuals. And if you individually don't like Candace Owens and you can say why you like her, why you don't like her, great. I'm not everybody's cup of tea. I'm actually an acquired taste, actually. Mm -hmm. And I get that. But if you're just saying that you don't like Candace Owens because you were told by the media that you're she's betrayed you because she's black and doesn't all you don't all think alike, then you should appreciate that you're being insulted by the media. Mm-hmm. And that's what I would say. I'm just being an individual. I don't care 100%. if you vote left or right, but let it be your own thoughts. Exactly. Okay, so I have a question for you about the responsibility of people with a platform. So you say, Cardi B, you know, you made it now. You have a responsibility. I don't care where you came from at this point. We're, now we're all on the equal playing field because, you know, you have a platform. I have a platform. These filmmakers had a platform. What type of responsibility do people with platforms have to tell the whole truth, to show all sides? Is that censorship for them, for there to be some kind of regulation on what's shown? It's hard to, and this kind of even gets into people that are talking about like highly filtered photos and things of that nature. If you, depending on if you're an entertainer versus whether or not you are presenting yourself as a news person, I just think give people all of the information so that they can draw their own conclusions and at least know what's real and what's not. You know, I understand the culture on Instagram, which kind of makes everybody's life look perfect and aspirational. I think that it's leading to a lot of psychological effects and people are actually depressed as they think everybody's life is perfect. I always prefer someone to be honest about the imperfections in their life because I think that it's really hard for people growing up to think that their lives are perfect all the time. But yeah, I mean, it's every person has to make their own decision. I try to be as honest as possible. I'm definitely probably someone who is an oversharer, very realistic about what people should aspire to in life. Perfection is not it. Life is not perfect. You are going to have sad days. Just because you are sad does not mean you are suffering from depression. You know, it's literally to human emotion. People are constantly, I think, because of social media, looking for a high, 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 and they want to stay high, that they don't know that, like, being sad is normal. We've, we've abnormalized sadness, which is really strange. Now, I, I'm not talking about the people that cry on Instagram. I think it's very weird when people, <laughs> I think that is the weirdest thing yeah. that it's, it's got to stop. I was just going to ask you your stop. thoughts it's on that. Stop. You were? I, yes. I unfollow. I don't think I, I unfollow, know people who cry. Like, I hold on. Let me get this. People. Yeah, it's a weird <laughs> it's thing. Strange. I've unfollowed because it's for attention. Yes, you're not actually 1, crying because you're sad yes. or trying to show more attention. Because the first thing you do when you're actually sad, you don't grab your phone and go live on Instagram. No. It's very weird. We think about that. Weird. It's very weird. It very is, weird. But they, they, it, at least their intention is good of like showing that, look, 
on the shit show, and they are confirming it right there for us, and not in the way they really wanted to, but they're showing us that they're they're weak, and they are, you No, know. they're showing us that they're full-blown narcissists. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, you're probably right no, about that, That's, like, too. not a normal thing that's to do. That's not normal. That's yeah. not normal. Yeah, well, but. we wanted to do something a little bit fun. Okay. Do you okay. have any more I questions? Specialize. Well, we, we didn't really go... I, I wanted to go into, like, a little bit of the psychology of Stephen Avery Let's just do to it. hear what she said. Let's okay. do it. Yes. So, Let's do, do it. you... Okay. Because so thinking about his story, this is a man who was in prison for, was it 12 or 18 years? He was in prison for 12 years, something that he didn't do, six years, something that he actually did do, which okay. was running his cousin off of the road and putting a gun to her head, and oh. she had a kid in the car. Okay, so we're going to say 12 years. We're going to give him the benefit of the doubt. So he was in prison for 12 years for something that he did not do. Do you think maybe during that time, he, one, either gained this immense contempt for women that then led him to act on it, or do you think that he was kind of like living a self-fulfilled prophecy? Like people told him he was this rapist, so he just became one. That's actually a really good question. So I think he had already established a, pow- a pattern, which will show him a docu-series of sexual deviancy before he even went into prison. The whole family, the whole Avery clan has got a very deep history of sexual deviancy, pedophilia, things of that nature, which we show him a docu-series. So that already existed within him. And he was married when he went into a prison. He did threaten, literally ran his cousin off the road, put a rifle to her head, ordered her out of the car. She had a young toddler in the car with her. She got very lucky that he kind of, when she saw the toddler, she was like, please just let me drop off the kid and I'll do this. And then he turned the other way. So that, he was serving six years for that, to have done that to his cousin, married cousin. Like they were married into the family. They weren't blood cousins. And so he already had this proclivity towards violence in his past relationships and with his wife. What is stunning is to read the letters he was writing while he was in prison. I'll give you just one little tidbit here. He would write a card to his kids and it would be like, happy Easter. When I get home, I'm going to kill your mom. Okay. Which I'm just like, how did the prison allow that to even, Wild. they're not read the letters. I don't think they were legible. Yeah. Did so you read the right? Oh yeah, when he, <laughs> they, when he said Teresa, T-R-E-S. Yeah, he's like, happy, yeah, happy Easter. When I get out, I'm going to do this to your mom. I'm going to kill your mom. So he had this violence within him and it demonstrates just by what he would write to his kids. And eventually the judge ordered not allowing him to have contact with their kids because they would say that when they would go visit him, he would hurt them. So he was violent. He allegedly, to his stepson, had knocked all of his teeth out, had like had boxed, had beat him very badly. So he already, and then there's an allegation also from Brendan Dassey, which I'm not going to spoiler alert that. I'm just going to have to watch it of what he would do to Brendan Dassey. Wow. When Brendan Dassey was a kid. So he was this person already. But to your point... Something that people said was that when he came, when he got out of prison, he thought he was a celebrity, mm-hmm. right? So you imagine you're getting the attention, cameras are following you, you've been freed. He thought he was unbeatable. And he specifically said to someone that all bitches owe him mm-hmm. for him having been in prison for something that he didn't do. So all bitches had to pay. And who ended up actually paying for it was this young photographer with her whole life ahead of her. It's. Do you think that he was out for her specifically? Because I, re, I know that he had appointments. There was all of a sudden this, this spike in appointments that he was calling. It, it felt like he was like on the hunt. Yeah. He, did he want anyone or did he want her? He wanted her because there was an incident, which the Netflix series never showed you, where you know she was just a car photographer. Like she would go photograph cars. They ran a whole car lot. And there was one incident in particular where he had called her to photograph a car and he showed up like just barely with a towel around him at his door when she showed up and she was repulsed by it, said she didn't feel comfortable around him, didn't want to go back to being around Stephen Avery. And I think that that set him off, that he had Mm -hmm. a thing for her and that 
and we'll show him a docuseries, but she was she was fearful of Stephen Avery. She had communicated that to her friends, that she was fearful of him. And again, why would you show up half naked at the, you know, so there was all of this implication that he felt that every woman owed him. And then when you hear Brendan Dassey, you know, describing what happened the night when Stephen Avery raped her and said to him, like, let's rape her, like, you're going to get some too, you really realize, like, what kind of a monster you were dealing with. All righty. Well, on that note, yeah. we're gonna we're gonna move we're gonna move to hot takes. Okay, I'm the hot best take. at hot takes. Okay, good. So you know, then we're not okay. gonna need to saint your first rodeo. Okay, so Candace, how do you feel? Oh, it's just like a thumbs up or thumbs yeah. down, right? Her, her okay. Are you pro or her con? Thoughts. Pro or pro or anti? We want to hear her thoughts. Okay, thoughts. Okay, thoughts on OnlyFans. I think women that are on OnlyFans are going to very much struggle to date and find men that want to marry them in the future. So it's a trade. If yeah. you want to make money, you can make money, but you are probably going to have trouble in the future because men don't want wives that are selling their bodies and only fans. All right. How do you feel about Instagram filters? I think they're harmless for like women because again, we have established our brain patterns. We know what's going on, but I think for the younger generation, they think that everyone looks like that and they don't. So I just want to go back to Braces, ugly. Yeah. <laughs> I know that that's not the world that we live in because we can literally make ourselves look perfect online. So I don't hate it, but I do know that it's having probably bad psychological effect on young women. Okay. How do you feel about open marriages? Absolutely not. <laughs> okay. No, no, no. All right. Okay. Um, Candice, what's your biggest fear? Oh, gosh. I'm not a very fearful person at all. So I can't. A styrofoam. Me too. I can't. Me too. I can't. My son, literally, I have this, like, I have nightmares about oh. it. The, the sound, my teeth. The, the, it should be illegal. It's, it's like, it, it, what is it? I don't what know. Is it? No, no, when I see, when a box arrives, and then I see that something is in styrofoam, yeah. I melt. Yes. I oh melt. I can't. The squeak, when it comes out, yeah, yeah. Oh, out of the sounds. box, it's yeah. like, oh, That's yes. my biggest fear. I'm okay, all live. right. Well, I share that with you. And um, who's your favorite actor? Denzel Washington. Okay. I'll Absolutely love, love Denzel Washington. Would love to meet him. Probably would cry if I met him bizarrely. Yeah, I think Denzel Washington is the most incredible actor ever. And I also love, 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 love her so much. Emma Stone. I oh. love Emma Stone too. I just love her. Did you see Cruella? No. No. Okay, nobody, like you need to watch it. It is incredible. She's it, funny too. No, like she's amazing. Wow. Amazing yeah. as Cruella. Okay. I absolutely I have to watch love that. it. Yeah. Okay. okay, if you could be a fly on the wall, who would you want to listen in on? Oh, gosh, it could get weird. <laughs> At what point am I listening? Am I listening on them? I, gosh, that's a great question. I don't know. I don't know. I have to come back to that one. Is it okay, the Oval how- Office? No, gosh, no. <laughs> like, that's boring. Yeah, it would be so boring. Yeah. It would be something so stupid and petty. Yeah. Like, it would be like an argument between Brad and Angelina. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm like, I wonder what goes on in this household. Yeah. Dead or alive, who would you like to have dinner with? Grand- my grandfather and grandmother, without question. I love that. Yeah. I More time that. with them would definitely be the answer. Last time you cried? Gosh. The last time I could think of boohoo crying was when I was postpartum. I'm not a big crier. It's, it's not my choice emotion. I'd rather just go work out or go for a run. Yep. <laughs> but I remember boohoo crying when all of the Kanye West stuff was going on. I was postpartum. I had every news reporter in the world asking me to respond to things. And I just remember I was in the shower and I just boohoo cried. And I was like, oh. I need a break. I need a hug. Please. Well, the next question I was going to ask is where do you stand with Kanye? 
Kanye and me have always been cool. And I know that that was something that the media really tried to fracture. They really wanted me to say something awful about him. But I always say to people that think I'm a formidable enemy that I'm an even more formidable friend. And just because somebody's going through something publicly, and even if you publicly disagree with them, I just think it is so crass to throw your friends under the bus with like a statement of like, I disagree. Like, it's just mm-hmm. not who I am. I'm a Taurus. Loyal. I'm extremely loyal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Kanye needed to figure out things that were going on with Kanye, but I, I would have never thrown him under the bus. I love that. Can't travel without this product. Ooh. It's going to be something weird. Socks. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot my socks on the way here. It was horrible. No, it's really bad. <laughs> I'm still mad about that. With a pair of socks, my feet get cold. I just need my socks. (laughs) Biggest insecurity of Candace Owens? Gosh, I don't really. I'm very. I would say I'm very secure, but postpartum phase when you bald here, Mm. that was hard. When your hair, that was it. That was that was what happened in the shower. By the way, I I was like all the time going on, and then all at once the freaking you know. I don't know if you guys get the same bad thing. My hair fell out in clumps, and I just remember holding it. And I was like, "No!" And then they no. grow. And when, as the process, when they start to grow back, oh, they're so creepy. They're so yeah. creepy. And I just remember holding my hair, crying, and being like, "You just won't stop, God! Oh. You just won't stop." Okay. Now look at you. <laughs> Biggest misconception about you, and what's one thing you wish people knew about you? I thought I have a sense of humor. I'm very funny, guys. <laughs> She's very, very yeah. funny and warm and bubbly. I am not angry and on the defense all the time. It's just that people really just don't want me to be a black conservative, but I am one. Yeah. You guys over that yet? Yeah. Yeah. Over it? I just please be a black yeah. conservative. Okay, I especially wanted to ask you this because you changed my life in so many ways. Are you running for president? Not currently. I'm running after toddlers. And <laughs> that is the the ultimate sprint. My focus right now is on my family. These are the crucial years with kids. You know, I just want to be the most present mother, the most present wife. I, and I love that. And, you know, politics gets you down because it just... People are not happy. They're always angry. They're always in a conspiracy. So I'm not saying that's off the table, that I wouldn't run potentially in the future if I really felt that America needed me and I was the right person for the job. But right now, there's tons of people that have thrown their hats in the rings. And at some point, I'll throw my you know, my support behind one of them. But I love that. I love who, that. Who would you choose as your running mate? Probably Thomas Massey and Laura. <laughs> yeah. You heard it here first. My dad was like, ask her about election fraud. I'm like, dad, we're not, we're not going, going there. there. Are you not over today. that? Like, we're not going there today. <laughs> I know. Oh, my awesome. God. Well, that's all we have for you. But thank you so much. You're so much fun to talk to. And you are yeah. such a girl's girl. Thank you. And you are funny. <laughs> I am funny. Take, yeah. if take anything away from this, guys. I am funny. Yes. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.